We have two readings this afternoon. First reading, Psalm 32. where it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For the day and the night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up, as by the heat of summer. I had acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in a rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me, you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In our second readings, 1 John. 1 John 1. John 1, 5 to verse 2, 2. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So far the reading.
This afternoon we're looking at Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day, excuse me, Lord's Day 5. Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's found on page 17 uh, in the Book of Confessions. And you'll notice above, <clears throat> excuse me, above Lord's Day 5, it says man's deliverance. And so this is the second part. This is part two. If we think back to uh, Lord's Day 1, uh, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? There's three things you need to, live, to, uh, you need to know to live and die in the joy of this comfort. Uh, first, how great my sin and misery are. That's what we've looked at in Lord's Day 2 through 4 and this afternoon. Secondly, how I'm set free from all my sins and misery. And that's what we begin with with Lord's Day 5. We make that transition to man's deliverance. So Lord's Day 5 asks four questions with regard to uh, the beginning understanding of our deliverance. First of all, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both in this world and forever after. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of his justice must be paid in full either by ourselves or by another. Uh, question answer 13. Can we pay this debt ourselves? Certainly not. We actually increase our guilt every day. Question answer 14. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish another creature for man's guilt. Besides, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal anger against sin and release others from it. And lastly, what kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? He must be truly human and truly righteous, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, he must also be true God. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our uh, consideration of redemption this afternoon. Our Heavenly Father, as we listen to your word, help us to see again the glory of your provision of grace in Jesus Christ. That grace is something that is found in a person and in a personal relationship with your Son. And so help us to see how personal your redemption is. Bless us with the presence of your Spirit to heed and to, to understand your word and to thrive in this grace so that we would not be like a, a horse or a mule which needs to be bridled, which needs to be controlled, but that your love, your grace, your compassion, and your kindness would capture our hearts and direct us and how to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we uh, consider the catechism, as it summarizes the teaching of God's word this afternoon, we move on to the second part. But just because we've changed headings doesn't mean that we, we leave the subject of sin and condemnation behind us. It's not like we can wipe our brow and say, phew, we don't need to hear any more of that any longer because now we're going to talk about happy things. We're going to talk about things that are pleasing to us. We're going to learn all these positive things. In fact, God's word reminds us that when, when God knows us, he doesn't simply overlook our sin, that, that his forgiveness isn't turning a blind eye to it. 
His forgiveness isn't putting it to the back of his mind so he doesn't forget it or remember it anymore. But instead, his forgiveness is provision of a Savior, Jesus Christ, to bear the weight of his wrath. Salvation doesn't overlook sin. It accounts for sin. And our understanding of redemption, and redemption particularly this afternoon, has to deal with how we're our God's justice is paid off. Our debt is paid fully, freely by the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's glory. And it's the glory of knowing once and for all that our sins have been dealt with. This is how, remember, we're set free. There's a notion of freedom being set free through the redemption secured by Jesus Christ. This is a key. Redemption through Jesus Christ is the key that sets us free. It unlocks the shackles of the tyranny of the devil. But it also, it also delivers us from the judgment of God and from the guilt of our sin. So as we begin to look at that this afternoon, there's three things that I would like us to consider. First of all, the focus. Secondly, the need. And thirdly, the provision. The focus, the need, and the provision. Now let's consider the focus. What is the focus of redemption? What is the focus of your salvation? What is the focus when, when you say, yes, I'm a child of God. I've been saved by God. What do you focus on? And that's what I want to look at this afternoon. And that's why the catechism is helpful. Is It, it reminds us again, don't simply forget about sin, but, but deal directly, deal uh, properly, biblically with sin. Let's suppose for a moment you had a heart condition and you went to the doctor complaining of chest pains. In the course of the exam, the doctor comes into the room and, and he asks you to extend your leg. And he looks at your ankle and he, he wiggles your foot around. You would think this is just a little bit strange. You come in complaining of heart pains and he's looking at your ankle. That's a bit unusual, but he is a doctor after all, and so you roll with it. And then he, he continues to ask you questions about uh, uh, your foot and whether you can rotate your foot sufficiently. You can bend it back, you can bend it forward, and all these sorts of things. And all the while, your chest pains haven't subsided, and you wonder, well, when is the doctor really going to get to the, the urgent matters? That is my heart problem. You would question this doctor and his procedures. Say, what are you doing? Don't you know I came in here to have my heart addressed, to have my heart dealt with? And the doctor says to you, well, your heart really isn't my focus. It's not my specialty. In fact, I can get more money from operating on your ankle than I can from operating on your heart. And so that's what I'd like to focus on. You'd say, this doctor's a quack. He's a fraud. He's only interested in himself. No, of course, a doctor wouldn't be so blatant, we would hope, but you see the problem. It's the wrong focus. The same sort of problem exists with regard to our salvation. We know our sin and misery from God's law. God's law diagnoses our sin and says, you have a cancer of the soul that is destroying you. It's eating you from the inside out. The law of God gives a very accurate diagnosis. It's, it's a painful diagnosis. It's a, it's a hurtful diagnosis. There's, there's no cosmetic surgery that can 
overcome this reality. We've heard this in the Heidelberg Catechism. The law teaches us, it shows us, it reminds us again as a good physician of our spiritual disease, we have this natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. Oh, can't we cover that up? No, we can't. We are so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil. Won't those chest pains go away if the doctor tends to my ankle? Maybe it will help me think of something else. The plight of man is a horrible diagnosis. Dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. And yet we need to recognize the realization of how great my sin and misery are. When it comes to analyzing that, to reflecting on that, some will have a wrong focus in salvation. They will put themselves and their healing, their restoration at the center of salvation. And like the doctor, it's all about me and what I can get. What he wants, and sometimes what we want, isn't thoroughly misguided. We, we do want to be relieved of our sin. We do want to be set free from our sin. And yet we have to be so careful with this focus. And the Catechism reminds us, when, when we take up the subject of man's deliverance, it's not let's just leave sin all in the background and let's consider how good it is that God has shown his grace to us. This is a misfocused idea. That's like making salvation a, a spiritual selfie. It's like taking a snapshot of salvation and saying, see, it's all about me. And that's not what it is. Our catechism reminds us as it calls us back to God's word, how corrective we need to make the focus of our salvation. The focus of our salvation is not man and his problems and his family and his relationships. When we were going on holiday a, a few years ago, we, we were going to somewhere where we weren't sure what churches were in the area, and so we looked on the internet to find what churches were there. And it was very disheartening to, to look at all the churches and, and how they presented themselves on the World Wide Web as, as part of their focus of ministry. And I think there was maybe one or two out of 12 to 15 churches that actually acknowledged that the problem man has and the problem that they are addressing as a church is man's sin. Most of it was a broken relationship, struggles in your family, not feeling well in your job, and, and there was a therapeutic Jesus that was offered to help you get along in life. And that's a fraud. That's like a doctor who's coming into the doctor's room and saying to you, oh, your heart condition, don't worry about it. You struggle with your family. Things aren't going well in your job. You're sick of life. Here, Jesus can help you. He's tending to your ankle and he's not dealing with the heart. Now, it's sure, Jesus can help us. We, we, we need to recognize that Jesus is there to help us. But he's not there as a therapist. He's here as a savior, a mediator, a redeemer. Where do we start? We have to focus salvation on God. On God. 
What is the glory of salvation? It's not me and how I have a future and eternity. It's God and how he is glorified. According to God's righteous judgment, we do deserve punishment in this world. And forever after. That's what God should do. For God to be God, his glory needs to be paramount. His glory needs to be supreme. He is the one who must be glorified. How can we escape this judgment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. If God is God, if his glory is preeminent, if he is first and foremost above all else, the claims of his justice must be paid in full. That's the testimony of a heart that has been brought to faith in Jesus Christ. That the focus is on what God deserves. Life that is given by Christ, through Christ, for Christ, is not about you first and primarily. It's about God. The concern that we are facing is that God be the center of our focus in life and salvation. You see, that's the focus of redemption. When you know what you have done, and how horrible your sin are, and how you have this natural inclination to hate God and my neighbor, and how deformed and distorted is the diagnosis of God's law that there's this cancer of sin so that I am so corrupt that I'm totally unable to do any good and incline toward all evil? We need to see the wonder of what God deserves. And that secondly is the need. What does God require if I'm going to live in fellowship with him? The claims of his justice must be paid in full. God's justice must be satisfied. Somehow, either by ourselves or by another, his claim must be paid. That's what redemption is. It's a, it's a, it's a payment of his judgment. Now there's some, some error in, in terms of this. Uh, it's called the ransom theory about the payment and, and who is the, the ransom of salvation paid for that when Jesus died on the cross, who was he paying? Some suggest that he was paying the devil and, and that way, in that way we're set free, but that's not what the catechism is teaching. That's not what God's word is teaching. God's word is very clear that God's justice must be paid off. Paid in full. And here we begin to see the gravity of our need, of our need, and the surpassing greatness of God's character. And it's, it's resounded in question and answer 14. No creature, none at all, can pay this debt. No mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal anger against sin. Eternal anger. His forever and ever and ever unending, always enduring anger against sin. Sin is a marring, an attack, an assault on his infinite majesty. These, these, are, these are huge terms, huge ideas that we're, we're struggling with. Infinite, without measure, without boundary, without limits. You see what sin does? 
It besmirches that, that, that perfect finish, that, that perfect substance of His infinite majesty, of all His glory and, and wonder and splendor, of the, the limitless holiness that God has. To minimize that, to attack that, to undermine that, requires eternal anger, infinite justice that must be satisfied. There's no limits. Consider that. How glorious it is to have, to have the sun as an example of, of majestic light. It hurts our eyes if we look at it. But even the light that comes from the sun has its limits. The shadow of night on the earth. The cover of clouds in the sky, it stops the light. In fact, scientists are even able to, to measure the amount of light that the sun produces. And they say there's stars that are even brighter than the sun. But not so God's majesty. Not so his splendor. It has no measure. It's beyond what we can comprehend. And a sin that attacks that requires infinite condemnation. Endless endurance of hell. That's why God's anger must be satisfied. This is the focus. And this is the need that we have. We can't do that. The only way we can do that is by enduring an eternal punishment in hell. No creature can do that. God would never punish a creature for another, another's guilt. So what can happen? The reality is we only increase our guilt every day. Even the idea that I can handle God's judgment is an affront to Him. And now we begin to understand our need. What will it take to reconcile a sinner like myself, one with this horrible cancer, not some therapeutic Jesus, but a certain Savior. This is why the child of God can say, let me acknowledge my sin. I will not try and cover my iniquity. I will hold it there. It is worthy of your condemnation. I am worthy of your condemnation. God, you deserve to be glorified in everything. I deserve to be cut off forever. And as we hear and consider our need, we see the glory, thirdly, of God's provision. When that is our sin, how glorious is the provision. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And here, question 15, Lord's Day 5 concludes, we have a mediator and a deliverer. That's what we look for. One who is truly human and truly righteous. He lived the perfect life. He lived what we couldn't. And yet, and yet, more powerful than all creatures. Something not provided from this world, but something provided by God 
himself. The gift of his son in the incarnation. Truly human and truly God. We begin at this time of year to think about the incarnation. And we celebrate the gift of God. It's like getting a new phone. Why do you have that phone? Just to take selfies? No. It's got a greater purpose. It's to help you have communication. And to show the world what is most significant for you. And that too is what the incarnation is all about. God didn't leave us to perish in our sin and misery. He gave his son, his only son, his beloved son. So that if anyone does sin, and here it's not a conjecture that there's someone without sin, because we know the clear teaching of scripture is that we all have sin. We can say we have an advocate. Someone who is with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for all of our sins. Boys and girls, that's a, that's a big word, propitiation, but it's an extraordinarily important word. It's like infinite and eternal. It's an important biblical word. Because it reminds us that, that Jesus didn't come just to, to, to help us feel better about ourselves. He came to be our substitute. He placed himself under the wrath of God. That's what propitiation deals with. It doesn't just remove our guilt, but it removes the wrath of God. It satisfies perfectly for eternity the infinite justice of God. Jesus did that as the propitiation for our sins. Oh, the wonder of our mediator. Oh, the glorious provision of God. Because with God resides the beginning of our redemption. He's the great physician. He's the one who comes, who when we come to him, and we think that the problem is simply our ankle, he gives us the true diagnosis and he says, no, it's your heart. And your heart is dead. But I can give you life. Here is the key to redemption. That it's focused on what God deserves. On his glory. That yes, more important than my salvation is the glory of God. And we might tremble to say that. But when we realize that. And when we can acknowledge that. And when we can accept that then we see how perfectly he's provided for our need through the gift of his son so that we would say to God be the glory forever and ever in our redemption. Amen.